Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartenized. Today's episode, Global Warming, Part 1. Listeners do send a lot of email, and one question that keeps popping up, folks are asking me about my opinion on global warming and why I haven't done a show on it. I certainly haven't steered away from other controversial issues, and I do have strong opinions on just about everything. How come, in almost two years of the Quick Hits podcast, there really hasn't been a show about global warming? And so, finally, I took that as a challenge, and I'm going to do a show for you. In fact, I'm going to do two shows for you. And the answer to the reason why I haven't done a show on global warming is going to be revealed in Part 2, the next show coming up. For this episode, I want to talk about one of global warming's biggest cheerleaders, although maybe cheerleaders isn't the best word, Mr. Al Gore. During the Clinton administration... Al was so boring that his Secret Service code name was Al Gore. But since the vice presidency, he's grown a personality, and he's also grown his wealth and his estates, and he travels from coast to coast and from continent to continent. Between his 10,000-square-foot, 20-room, 8-bathroom home in Nashville, Tennessee... Between his 4,000-square-foot home in Arlington, Virginia, the one with 12-foot ceilings, and a third home that he also has in Carthage, Tennessee, to tell us all that we need to cut back, to consume less, and to stop spitting hydrocarbons into the air. How many thousands of square feet do you live in? How many bathrooms are there in your home? But I don't want to just dwell on his hypocrisy, because after all, He's a politician, and politicians are hypocrites by their very nature. That's not something that's ever going to change. Instead, I want to look at some of his qualifications and his expertise on the subject. I haven't seen the film An Inconvenient Truth, and it's going to be a long time before I do, because I find, in general, propaganda films are most amusing if they're at least 20 years old. And... In the spirit of recycling, rather than look at his latest claims, I'm going to go back and use an old review that I wrote for the Hitman Chronicle many years ago about his book, Earth in the Balance. And let's see what kind of expertise he establishes there. The one overriding feeling that I got from the whole book was that Al doesn't just have a vision for America's future, as he was outlining it, because then he was campaigning when he came out with this thing, he has a vision for the future of the entire planet. And the book kind of read like something written by a bright 16-year-old who, after getting a B-plus in earth science, is convinced that he knows it all. The kind of kid that a parent might brag about, but that isn't necessarily who you want in a position of power. He spends the first several chapters of the book telling us how horrible everything is, page after page of doom and gloom. Sometimes he spits numbers, and other times he uses simplistic charts. One chart that caught my eye immediately claimed that only one species per year became extinct until the late 1800s, and now the number approaches 100,000 a year. 
What a dodo. Now, most politicians are extremely fond of junk science, and he's no exception. But he has the gall to claim that virtually all of the world's scientists agree with him. Now, science doesn't work by consensus in the first place. It works by fact. And if one scientist has the facts and all the rest have a consensus, well, then the one with the fact is correct. But he claimed on page 38 of his book that 98% of the scientists agree that it's happening and a mere 2% hold the opposite viewpoint. He then goes on to blame the evil media for portraying the debate as being more evenly balanced. Now, remember, this was, what, 15, 20 years ago, when the debate was more evenly balanced than it is now. His favorite source of information, of course, is government agencies. And these agencies stand to reap huge benefits if they can find a problem and then step in to help. Al quotes studies from the United Nations as if they were unbiased, and he completely ignores other studies that arrive at different conclusions. He also fails to mention that most of the extremists who are now predicting disaster from global warming were, in the 70s, predicting that global cooling would be the end of us all. But mere facts never get in Al's way, not in this book. On page 93, he states that we've driven CO2 levels from 300 parts per million to 600 parts per million, getting the numbers completely wrong on both ends of the scale. Before the Industrial Age, the CO2 level, which you can actually measure by getting uh, air bubbles trapped in glacial ice, was about 280 parts per million, and today it's about 360 parts per million. Now that's a significant increase, but it's not nearly the level that he's claiming. And there's really no excuse for this kind of shoddy research because the real numbers were really easy to find even before Al invented the Internet. From time to time, he does come perilously close to exhibiting a clue. For instance, he admits that prosperous capitalists do the best job of keeping their environment clean. Hey, if you've got a nice house and a nice neighborhood, you want to keep it that way. If you're living in a tar paper shack and scrounging for your next meal, keeping things neat and tidy is not high on your list of priorities. But such brief insights are almost accidental and are quickly brushed aside to make room for his dogma. After spending the first third of the book warning us that the end is near, he spends the next third telling us how wrong we all are about everything. Now analogies and allegories can sometimes help you to understand things, but they're always suspect and they're always imperfect, and his book is just packed with inappropriate comparisons. He spends an entire chapter comparing civilization to a dysfunctional family, carefully dropping in all the pop psychology buzzwords like codependency and validation. Businessmen, he tells us on page 223, are enablers. The ability to make things happen is not unlike the momentary rush experienced by drug addicts. Our consumption of consumer goods is an addiction. He claims anybody who disagrees with him is in denial and gleefully compares them to alcoholics. And after hammering us with paragraph after paragraph telling us how horribly dysfunctional civilization is, he brings up the Nazis and Mao's Chinese communism, evidently our civilization is dysfunctional as theirs, and then he tells us that 
Each of those dysfunctional societies has demonstrated an insatiable need to thrust itself and its political philosophies onto neighboring societies. Moreover, each has fostered in its society a seamless web of shared assumptions that most people know are false, but no one dares to question. And this is just a couple of chapters before he tells us how America will force the world to adopt all kinds of policies to halt global warming. We now take a brief pause to allow the needles on your irony meter to return to normal. Of course, if you've really looked into this subject, you'll know that the biggest polluters are governments. But he doesn't even consider that. Instead, all of his solutions most all of his solutions, at least, have to do with government. He talks about his global Marshall Plan. He uses that term over and over again. He's, I think it's because people think of the Marshall Plan as a good thing, and so he's trying to steal that goodwill. Although that was a very limited, very expensive, but specific plan that gave Europe a helping hand after World War II for a specific period of time. By comparison, his plan calls for unlimited meddling, more money than exists in the world, and guess who gets to pay the bill, and fuzzy goal lines that can be moved the moment anyone gets near them. He outlines his action plan on page 346 with 12 action items. Item 1 and 2 are newspeak. He wants to redefine GMP and productivity to include environmental costs. Item 10 tells banks how they should be conducting their business. The first three words of the remaining items are Governments should agree, governments should eliminate, governments should improve, governments should adopt, governments should adopt, again, nations should revise, governments should require, governments should make, and governments should develop. If we reduce that just a bit more, his solution boils down to government, 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 and more government. What do you expect from a dogmatic politician? Good old Uncle Al has plenty of other plans for us, too. He said that he wanted to eliminate the internal combustion engine, completely eliminate it by 2015, which, with foreseeable technology, means an end to private vehicles, and for that matter, public vehicles. I guess we should stay home or ride our bicycles through the snow in the winter. Of course, I'm sure exceptions will be made for important ex-politicians to jet-set around the world and give lectures on global warming. And of course, higher taxes on fuel. Must have higher taxes. That's always a solution. Now, I'm not asking you to take my word for this, folks. If you'd really like to check up on me, go get the book. Get it out of the library. The page numbers that I gave you were from the first edition of the book, the hardcover edition. And... Don't buy it. Get it from a library, because if you buy one, it might encourage a publisher to print some more. And there's a whole lot of things worth killing trees for, but, but this book isn't one of them. And that's it for this episode of the Quick Hits Podcast. If you've learned a little something, if you've changed your mind, or if you can simply see things from a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, Congratulations, you've been smartenized. 
We all had a feedback and commentary on the D.A.R.E. episode. People seem to like that a lot, including a couple of emails that really made me feel good from parents saying, you know, I've been looking for a way to talk to my kids about drugs that's not dogmatic, that's not preachy, that's not sanctimonious, that doesn't come across as bullshit, and I think you may have given me one. So that's great. Uh, if you try that out and I'm still around in 20 years, let me know how it worked out for you because it certainly worked out pretty good for me. I do love hearing from everybody, so please send me a postcard, drop me a line, give me an email. Email is uh, hitman at davehit.com. You'll find the correct spelling of that in the MP3 tags of this file, or you can just go to davehit.com. That's spelled with two T's, and you'll find email links all over the place there. You can also give me a call at 206-203-4488. That's 206-203-4488. And as I always remind you, it's free if you call from work. That will send me a little recording of your voice that may get used in the show. The site dig.com has put up a thing for podcasts. Now, I stopped a long time ago asking for votes in Podcast Alley and various things like that, various places where you vote for your favorite shows. Because unless you make it to the top 10 or the top 25, it really doesn't make that much difference. And I know I would get annoyed by how many people out there are always yammering, give me a vote, give me a vote. And people still do it too, and I still find it annoying. So I'm not going to do that. If you want to vote for me, that's great. I appreciate it. But I'm not going to ask you to do it. Although, dig.com put up a podcast site. You can go in there and you can dig podcasts, which is basically voting for them. What struck me as really cool, I went there, it had been up for a couple of days, and uh, so I click, there's a little tab on the top for podcasts, I click on that, and I said, well, I'll add my podcast. So I put the URL in for the uh, RSS feed, and it comes back and says, oh, this one's already on here. And it has six digs already. I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. So if uh, you do want to vote, that's a cool place to do it. Just go to dig.com. You have to be registered, which is free and easy to get hooked up with. But what's neat about it is you can not just dig the show, but you can also go in and you can vote on individual episodes. And what's also neat about it, you only have to do it once per lifetime. So it's not a, a monthly thing, but just go in there and do that. It's fun. And to whoever took it upon themselves to put me in there, hey, thanks. I appreciate it. If you don't do it, not the end of the world. If you have to choose between doing that and writing me a letter or making a phone call, please send me an email or phone call instead. Part two of Global Warming will be out in another week or so, so check your feed for it. In the meantime, never forget that the Quick Hits podcast is a little more than a journal of one man's opinion and therefore should not be taken too seriously. Seriously.